0: Welcome back to Native Tongues. Aaron here. Last week, we left off with me grilling Ken to learn a little more about him. This week, it's me under the hot lamp. Get ready to find out some dirt on me because I'm sure Ken has some questions prepared. Let's go. Aaron. Yes, sir.
1: Let's just jump right in with the positives. What's something you're really bad at?
0: <laughs> um, Time management.
1: Uh, lyrics or
0: Music. Music.
1: If you could get rid of one genre of music, what would it be?
0: Pop country? You're a bastard. Okay, DJs. There you go. Much better.
1: (laughs) That that was the answer we're looking for. Okay, you have to watch one movie on a loop in a Turkish prison for a week. What movie
0: are you watching? Turkish prison. Yes. I'm guessing there's not great surround sound in there? Probably not. not a big experience theater. Probably not. Okay. I'm probably gonna to want to keep my spirits up. So I'm gonna go with super bad or step brothers. You gotta pick one. Just one. Step
1: brothers. Done. What do you think is the worst job there is?
0: Podcast host?
1: <laughs> Depends. <laughs> Depends on who your co-host is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not the worst job. That's just sort of like the lowest form of job, right? Right. Right. <laughs> do you think dad jokes are played out? I never liked them to start with. So, yes. How about cat jokes? No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> what do you feel most passionate about?
0: This is tough. I'm a man of many passions. I'm a really very passionate person. I'm <laughs> go with concerts. That's like my need to survive. Texting or talking? I'm a big talker. I like to chat with people. So when I'm home, texting, for sure. Okay. And I would rather text any sort of customer service person and avoid conversation altogether. But when I'm like moping around the house, Megan will often kick me out to go be around people because that improves my mood.
1: Gotcha. What's your favorite day of the week? Thursday? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll allow it. (laughs) It was a question. (laughs) I would say Friday. I think Friday is the best day of the week because you know that you have the weekend coming, you have Friday night coming, you have all sorts of things wrapped around that and it's all potential. It's all like, I'm so excited because we're going to be doing things and whether those things are good or not good or whatever, but I
0: know always not a good space. I, <laughs> I know exactly what my weekend's going to look like because my calendar is always full with kid activities.
1: Well, yeah, I guess your weekends are different than, so th- maybe not. <laughs> hey, so th- thursday's, Thursday thursday's thursday's your is your last, Thursday is your last, like, this is my day. I get yes. one more and that's it.
0: And often go out on Thursday
1: nights. Nickname that your parents used to call you. Age. Age? Yes. <laughs> age. Is that your middle name? What's your middle name? Joseph. Oh, okay. That so AJ
0: turned into Age.
1: Oh, man. AJ. I like that for you though.
0: I did get AJ some too. Didn't stick though? Uh well I
1: never joined a boy band, so I was gonna say you went to college, so You can totally change yourself and be like, hi, I'm AJ Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like a novelist. Sure.
0: What's the last song you listen to? I can check. That would be Rose Colored Boy by Paramore. There you go. Very nice.
1: By the way, my uh, my son was walking around yesterday singing Mariana, like Mariana. And he's like, I thought we was saying Mariana. I was like, what are you singing? And he's like, I don't know. It's like, it's in all the, like, the TikTok things or whatever. And I was like, well, what's the song? And so he goes and he plays it and I'm listening to it. And I'm like, this actually isn't bad. It sounds like music that like I would know. I bet I know the band or whatever. And mm-hmm. I was like, who sings that? He's like Ghost. Have you ever seen Ghost. The band ghost? No. Google them right now on your phone. <laughs> Image search the band Is this going
0: to be like a, a reaction video that we're going to post? Might be. Is something going to pop out and scare me?
1: No. So my 12-year-old son is like, I don't know. Let's look it up and see.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. You- <laughs> is this is like a cross between Slipknot, Dia de los Muertos, and Fallout. Yes. <laughs>
1: They're one of those bands that do the, like, churchy kind of thing. I don't want to say it's like, uh, it seems way too, like, lame to be like, you know, they're trying to be like the dark church sort of vibe. But that's not far off. A lot of it is that. And then you listen to the music, and it's super poppy. I mean, like, super pop metal kind of stuff that you're like, dude, this is so catchy. Uh, And so that is like, uh, falling, like, I believe the line is falling like Mary on a cross was what my son kept actually singing.
0: Like I said, are there are like 15 people in this band. Yes. I like it.
1: Yes. All in various and they're all like in character doing their various
0: things. So <laughs> I'm, anyway, <laughs> I'm looking through the members right now. And there's uh, a vocalist, Tobias Forge, mm-hmm. and then descending from there, Papa Nihil, Nameless Ghoul Fire, Nameless Ghoul Water, uh-huh. Nameless Ghoul Earth, Nameless Ghoul Wind, and there are many more. Yes. Thank you for turning me on to this.
1: Okay. That was technically the last song I listened to was that. Okay. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals?
0: Animals, for sure.
1: What's your favorite holiday? Halloween. Halloween. Have you heard of the band Ghost? <laughs> it's going my new anthem. How long does it take you to get ready in the morning? For what? I don't know life. <laughs> okay. Assume that assume that you are a functioning member of society and society called you and we're like, hey, we need you. We need you to pop in and do some societally
0: beneficial things. Okay. How long does it take you to get ready? I'm just saying, is this like a sport coat situation or I don't just know. jeans and t-shirt? I don't, how important is the outfit?
1: Uh, on a scale of one to 10, it's a, who gives a shit? How long did it take <laughs> you?
0: uh five minutes perfect
1: follow up question what's the silliest or dumbest
0: way you've ever injured yourself <laughs> you already know the answer to this <laughs> i i didn't break my finger i forget what i did exactly i think i tore the ligament basically my finger was hanging sideways <laughs> from how did that happen putting on some very slim pants too quickly
2: <laughs>
0: i was that in seems- a rush To host a party, and uh, it happened (laughs) happened. so fast. And then the first person who came in, his wife was a nurse, and fortunately taped my finger to a popsicle stick, gave me a shot of tequila, and said, there's not much you can do. Let's go have a party. And he asked if I had tried to jump both legs into my pants at the same time. (laughs) That would be uh, an
1: unorthodox way of getting your pants on and would warrant injury. Yes. All
0: right. If you could time travel, where would you go and who would you go see? I mean, kind of like, why waste your time going to see people when you could go back and see dinosaurs? Mm, that would be yeah, cool. That's where I'm going.
1: I'm down with that. I was going to say, there's a lot of ways you could go with that too. You can go in the sort of, you know, family. Oh, I want to go see my grandfather or something. <laughs> I guess that was like a more noble. Well, <laughs> it could be. I'm just <laughs> saying, I'm not saying that would be more my either. Answer. I was thinking, or you go back and like, I don't know, meet George Washington or... Those guys are probably all jerks. Yeah. Or like see Jimi Hendrix or that kind of thing.
0: I don't know. We've got YouTube. Yeah, true.
1: Or I ate a fantastic salmon salad last week. So maybe I would go back in the last week and do
0: that. <laughs> Relive anyway, that glorious moment. That's it.
1: I got one shot at time travel and that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> all right. On a scale of one to 10, how good of a driver are you?
0: I would say a nine. Other people may disagree. Unless yeah. I'm an autopilot, then it's a 10.
1: Yeah. Wow. fair.
0: But are you really driving? Uh, no. That's the point of it. Van Halen or Van Hagar? I literally had this question written down for you. No and worries. I skipped over it. <laughs> I did. Ugh, this is tough. Van Halen made 1984, which could be their best album. Yeah. But I really like some Van Hagar stuff.
1: I'm with you. It's a very hard decision for me. I liked them both. M- yep. Maybe equally, I would say. Hmm, okay. I can get behind that. Invisibility or super strength? Invisibility. I feel like if you are you can go invisible, you don't need super strength. <laughs>
0: exactly. You can, it's like being the ultimate spy. What's your most hated household chore? Organizing anything. Mm. Okay. do you feel like
1: it's wrong for vegetarians to eat animal crackers?
0: Depends (laughs) which animal. Some of them deserve it. Like camels. Yeah. FM camels.
1: (laughs) Are you an early bird or a night owl?
0: Night owl all the way. Mm, Me too. All right. What band would you love to see right now? Right now. I'm trying to think of who I haven't seen that I would want to see. Sure. that's I, I have seen, like, everything. Oh, Miley Cyrus. Fair. I feel like she would kill it in concert. Yeah, she's got, uh, like, stage frighty things, so, though, right? Doesn't she? I think she said she didn't like playing stadiums because mm. it's hard to connect with anyone.
1: Right. That's some serious first world problems, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I totally know what she was talking about. It's just, I know. How do you pick one out of 50,000? You know. Yeah. But I, I don't like stadium shows. Pink was an amazing concert. That was a stadium show. Okay. So I saw that and that was really cool. But I mean, she made good use of that. Right. She's flying all over the place and using the space. Yeah. She was like Peter Pan.
1: All right. Uh, What's the best style of pizza?
0: I know you want one answer, but there's two answers for this. Detroit pizza. Yes. Is always good. Or New York style. The fat, thin slice that you can fold in half.
1: I would actually agree with both of those answers.
0: Yeah. It's very good. Uh, Chicago pizza can go to hell. It's not pizza. mm hmm That's like tomato bread, too deep, too
1: much lasagna on a, on dough.
0: Yes. Have you ever been on a blind date? Yes. One. And I married her. Wow. I, I know. Crazy, right? That's crazy.
1: Was that totally blind date? Like real, like straight up had not met before? Never. That's awesome. What's something that's trendy right now that you think is absolutely ridiculous?
0: Socks pulled up really high. Oh, interesting. I see all the kids do that and I think it looks real stupid. It gotcha. makes you look like you have fatter legs, right? <laughs> it's real gym teachery. I don't get it. My weird trendy thing right now
1: are these Stanley water bottles. That it's legit just a water bottle, but and I think that's also when you know you're old when you see things like that and you're like, it's just a water bottle.
0: I have multiple water bottles. I don't like to go anywhere without a water bottle. Same, but the insulated water bottles can be bought at Target or Walmart for ten to fifteen dollars. Yes, but if they say Stanley on them, they're sixty dollars.
1: And they come in like a pink color or there was the Starbucks one. You're like,
0: oh, I don't know I have a pink the one. Starbucks one.
1: I don't. Who the fuck wants a Starbucks one? Yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Real dumb. Super dumb. Okay. What's your go-to drink at a bar? I'm going to stick with cocktails right now. Go-to cocktail at a bar. Probably getting an orange or grapefruit crush. Mm, I like it. It's clean. Yeah. It's Simple. clean. It's refreshing. Can't yep. really screw it up. I like it. Uh, what is your favorite spirit? Uh, Casper. Well done.
1: Um, if you could only have one liquor for the rest of your life, what would it be? Rum. Me too. Big rum guy. Going back to things that you're good at. Can you paint with all the colors of the wind? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the rest of that lyric. So. Nice. What, what is that from? Nice. Uh, that would be from Pocahontas, I believe. It's Vanessa Williams. Yes.
0: <laughs> and you said you could or could not. You you could? Uh, no, unfortunately. No. no not a mean. great wind painter. painter.
1: Nope. Uh, What was the first
0: book you read for your own joy? I read a lot early on, and I think (laughs) my reading really shaped my worldview and interests and taste and everything. In like fourth or fifth grade, I was reading Stephen King and Michael Creighton. I remember Jurassic Park. I remember Watership Down. I remember Misery, I think. So uh, clearly you can see which direction I (laughs) was going in.
1: Yeah. Was there one, though, that you were like, man, this, this one got me? Like, I've read It was the, probably the first book that I ever read outside of school that I was just like, I'm just going to read this. It looks, I've heard good things about it. I'm just going to read it and, you know,
0: and was hooked. I, I can think of one of my favorite books of all time is a, a Confederacy of Dunces. Got I read it like twice. I, I laughed out loud reading it and just thought it was brilliant. I don't know that one. It's fantastic.
1: What's something that you learned the hard way outside of putting on pants?
0: <laughs> right. The, not to eat a habanero pepper on a dare. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> it's a rough day.
1: All right. And uh, lastly, are we human or are we dancer?
0: Solid question. going to go with dancer. That'll work. All right. Real last question. Okay. Will you marry me? Not if we're proposing like this. Yeah, no.
1: Got to be in person. Idea. Terrible idea. Sorry. I got, I got caught up in the Vanessa Williams moment. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Our guest this week I will call a frantic writer. He has written numerous short stories, self-published over 20 novels, and currently has a series running on Amazon Vela. He also works with writers of all levels and hosts a podcast under the name The Dialogue Doctor. He also hosts a second podcast called We Just Came for the Tacos, which discusses life after leaving the Evangelical Church. I'm concerned this man doesn't sleep much. Let's welcome Jeff Elkins. Well, Jeff, welcome. Do you know Ken?
1: I don't believe we've met. I think I've seen you around town. Okay, nice. Yeah, nice yeah it's nice to, to meet you. Uh, Aaron and I are in the hood. Okay, Good nice. Job. So you're technically in that. right now. We're broadcasting from an underground bunker somewhere mm-hmm. in the Mid Atlantic.
2: Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that
0: part's a yeah. secret, right?
2: <laughs> Can't tell you.
0: Where. Very exclusive. <laughs>
1: very, very exclusive. Very
2: exclusive. Private we, we entrances. We actually have two
1: evil lairs. So yes.
2: <laughs> nice. Well, I mean, you got to change it up. You don't want to get no. caught. That way, you have a fallback exactly. case well, one of them falls Yeah, I will yeah
0: kick you get it.
1: Out as soon as he shoves his face in the door. Yeah. You're right out, buddy. You have your own evil lair. Go there.
2: <laughs> that's, that's hysterical Cool. Yeah. If you see me go on mute, that's because I'm like yelling at my 20 year old son to get my dog under control so I can actually talk.
0: Yeah. I live in constant fear of my dog barking because she barks at everything.
2: Yeah. He's a big dog or a small dog? Small. It's a Vishla. Yeah. Yeah. Mine's well, just, it's mid-size. something about those yippie small dogs. So, yeah. Those yippie small dogs. Man. No, she's not yippie at just, all. She's
0: got a loud bark.
2: Oh really. Yeah. Mine's mine is trying to be ferocious, but it doesn't quite what work out. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you just say that? He's a have <laughs> a poo. Half a poo? Have a poodle. Yeah, he's have a poo. Out there. Yep, just let that sit. He's a half Havanese, half poodle. Uh, okay. He's my wife's dog. Like, you know, I grew up with big dogs, and my um my dad was like a um he grew up in like South Texas, you know, kind of his parents were farmer. He wasn't a farmer, but his parents, grandparents grew up on farms. Yeah. And so for him, it was like, you know. Dogs are work animals and they need to like do work. And when they, if they like sneeze or cough, you put them down. Like that's how I grew up with dogs. Yeah. So like if our dog, like kind of walked funny, my dad was like, do we need to put it down? Like, so is that. But my wife grew up with like a teacup Yorkie terrier. So she has, we've kind of compromised in that we now get smaller dogs that aren't going to break if I accidentally sit on them. So that's the compromise.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's the perfect size.
1: We got our first COVID yeah. dog. So our first dog, you know, it was one of those things where uh, we were always like, yeah, we're going to get a dog eventually. Like I did not grow up with dogs, but, you know, uh, my wife did. Um, and we were like, we're going to get a dog eventually. But, we'll, you know, and then it was like, well, you know, we'll wait till the kids really want a dog. Because then we'll be like the cool parents when they're like, Can we get a dog? And we're like, yep. yeah, we're going to get a dog. Um, and then <laughs> once the kids became sort of self-sustaining, it was like, well, you know, what we don't need is another thing we got to take care of. Um, <laughs> so that kind of changed that plan. Um, but, uh, then of course, during COVID we were like, you know, well, we're home, you know, we're sitting around doing nothing. So yeah. So we got our, uh, we have a lab shepherd mix.
2: Oh, nice. That's great. So you got a Bryson pit
1: bull in there and who knows what,
2: but yeah, yeah. Who knows what else is in there. But yeah, those are my favorite. Like if I had, if I had my choice, I would probably get like a mid-sized mutt. That's kind of what I grew up with. Like. Yeah, my mom used to just like literally grab dogs off the side of the road, and them. like that was. Kind <laughs> I don't of how think we got do dogs anymore. This is a
1: different.
2: <laughs> no, I don't think it's allowed. But that's what we used to do. She'd just grab them off the side of the road and like, "Here's Max. He's our new dog." Um, and so and then they die like four months later of like <laughs> distemper, kennel cough. We'd all be sad. So, but yeah, but that would be like my ideal mid-sized kind of mutt dog. But uh, I'm not in charge. Yeah,
0: I always wanted a mastiff, but I couldn't deal with the drooling. Oh. If I got one that didn't drool, that would be awesome. Our dog now would absolutely not survive as a work dog. She sleeps in bed with my (laughs) daughter. And not only that, but she needs to be tucked in under the blanket, too. Or she will burrow. Really? That's (laughs) She's very soft.
2: Yeah, our dog doesn't have a great sense of smell. Um, He can't really see things. In fact, if we don't cut his hair, it grows down completely in front of his face. He has amazing hearing. But he's and he's not real bright. He is literally bred for cuteness. That's the only he will eternally look like a prey. <laughs> and that's why my wife likes
0: right.
2: him. <laughs> so yeah. Did you grow up in Texas? No, I have actually um man, I'll just give you the quick rundown. I was born in Virginia, couple years in Tennessee, eight years in Ann Arbor, Michigan, <laughs> high school in New Orleans, which is where I claim. As home because that was like development years. Okay, that's a good one. And then I I went to um, college in Texas at Baylor University, Mm -hmm. and then seminary in Texas. So for a while, Texas was where I'd lived the longest because I was there for seven and a half years of school. And then we moved to and then I moved to Baltimore. So and I've been but now I've been in Baltimore the longest. We've been here since um, oh I always forget like my own two thousand four. Two thousand three, two thousand four. Hmm. We moved to Baltimore. What brought you here? Well, my wife is from oh, here. Okay. She grew up in the neighborhood we all live in. Actually, she oh, um, one of those. She, yeah, oh. she's uh, <laughs> been she around forever. Um, but my parents, when I was my fresh, my sophomore year of college, my parents moved here, hmm. and so I came up to visit. She and I fell in love. She actually ended up. We dated long distance for a little bit, and then she actually followed me down to Baylor. Not necessarily following me just because she wanted a she was going to Towson University wanted a big life change so she was like that sounds good so and then we got married and once I like started working we came back up here gotcha uh,
1: um I'm assuming yeah. your parents were career criminals and that's they were always on the run
0: I was that's just right. going to ask that same thing to the run from the law
1: <laughs> gotta keep moving
2: yeah oh pack it up burn the passports Some sort of dog napping ring yeah no um my parents were my dad was a doctor um yes i am the image of white privilege yeah. <laughs> my name is jeff um my dad was a doctor and uh they were big social i don't want to say social justice warriors because it has like a negative connotation to it mm-hmm. but they like took on causes so we he was in Tennessee getting like it was his first job and then when he moved to ann arbor michigan he was like he built the first clinic for um women with down syndrome he was an ob-gyn he built the first clinic for women with down syndrome he like started this huge project in west africa with um oxford and a carnegie grant where they were like building med schools indigenous med schools in west africa that were like run by West African doctors. And he was partnering with U of M to do that. And then he moved to new Orleans because we, uh, he was offered a charity hospital, which has a terrible rep. If you're from new Orleans now, it has a terrible reputation, but when Mm -hmm. he was offered it, it was a dead hospital. Pretty much. There was only three OBGYNs there, but it was also the largest indigent care hospital in the world. So it like served, all of the um underprivileged of New Orleans and he wanted to make it into something. So he had two really great years there where he like brought in a hundred OBGYNs from around the world and they built this really cool thing where they put a it was back when they still had high rise projects. Mm-hmm, right. I lived near some that were called Fisher projects and they were <laughs> these like there were four giant like I wanted I mean I was a kid so it's probably exaggerated in my mind, but they felt like they were like 50 stories of Motel sixes where like, right. the, the door opens <laughs> out on the, the shared balcony. Anyway, he, um he put a free clinic in the basement of every high rise project in New oh, Orleans wow. uh, for women. So they could just go get free healthcare in the basement wow. projects, but it only lasted two years. And then he uncovered a massive amount of, we're just going to call it nonsense and uh, became a whistleblower oh. and was there for two more years, kind of wrapping up the case he uncovered with the FBI and then he came to work for Hopkins. So that was kind of like my family's trajectories. We moved from place to place. Um kind of on like the my parent like the cause my parents were fighting at this wow. time. Yeah. That's so that was that's how I bounced around a lot. Yeah. It was a it was a wild like especially my years in New Orleans felt a little like a Grisham novel at times. Like they were a little um <laughs> sounds cloak, cloak and dagger ish. You know, very cloak and daggerish. We had people like follow it the Ma he was kind of Whistle blowing on, um, on a pill mill mm. that was, oh, um, running out of his hospital oh, that he, the... that was in existence before oh. he came. So, and that was very well protected by a lot of, <laughs> <and so> he, <laughs> a lot of interest to keep yeah. that going. So he was kind of blowing the whistle on that and that, um, yeah, got him into somehow, but we did have like, you know, I remember I'd have like people following me home from school and we'd get like weird he'd get like weird threatening letters about like my sister has downs so they'd like have pictures of her like walking to and from her school yeah, or getting on off her bus and they'd like up and it was like weird like threatening like you better stop this or of course I don't know if y'all know the Enneagram my dad's an aide was an aide on the Enneagram he died a long time ago but he was an aide on the Enneagram it was pretty uh if there was a choice between fight or flight it was always fight so <laughs> it was never flight Crazy. he was like Good coming at so wow, you basically yeah. lived the insider I lived the insider yeah um, I was the insider's Gee, kid. That's what I'm saying. But
1: like for kids, it's like as a parent now, it's got to be man. Just
2: yeah, it was weird. It was weird. Yeah, but it was fun. It was a weird way to grow up. Like my um my parents were very much into we who have privilege and money. I don't, this isn't what y'all wanted to talk about today. This is it, a weird sure thing. To um, <laughs> my parents like we who have privilege and money and education. My parents both grew up really poor, and so like we we have like you know dad became a doctor. Mom was a lab tech for a long time. They had tons of money. So they were like, we invest and live amongst the poor communities that uh, we're a part of. So like they were huge public school advocates. Like I went to New Orleans public schools for high school and they were, you know, they always used to say like public school is public good. Like that was kind of the ethos of our family. It was Mm -hmm. like, we have all of this in order to give back to those who don't. So one of the things that happened when I was a high school student was I started becoming like the bus ride home for my football team so we'd finish football games and uh the the city buses would stop running at midnight and sometimes we'd play in like we had a world-class high school football team this public school did we were a magnet school which meant you had to have a certain gpa to stay in the school our gpa was like a 1.0 so we were they called us a yeah they called us a football magnet because we could take football (laughs) players from all over the city like you could come and (laughs) You go to the car. That, There's actually a documentary made about my high school on uh, Hulu right now called um, Algiers America. Cool. But, uh, I'll look it up. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a fun. It's a sad documentary. It's not a fun documentary. Oh. It's a sad documentary. <laughs> and it is funny because a lot of the guys that I, like, went to school with are now coaches at the high school oh, yeah. or, at like, rival high schools. So, I see them all yeah. in the <laughs> cool.
1: Did you play football? i like, there's Jerry.
2: I did. I played football for the team. And so, we would um, – I played left yeah. bench. <laughs> And they would, uh, yeah, but after games, I had a van. And so, like, 22 guys would pile into my van, and I would drive them home, and we'd have this, like, van driving all over the city until, like, 2 o'clock in the morning on Saturday nights. And then, like, in the first season I was doing that, probably, like, I don't know, 10 or 11 games in, we had this, like, really bad encounter with the cops. Really bad. While you're driving? While I'm driving, I had like 10 guys left in the van. We were driving through Fisher Project. A couple of guys lived in Fisher. So we we dropped them off at Fisher. We we're leaving Fisher. We we're passing this like bar that was like letting out for the night. So like everybody's like coming out of this bar. Mm-hmm. And uh, all all of a sudden, I was like surrounded by cop lights. And I like almost hit the car in front of me. Like I slammed on the brakes. And we had like 10 cops approach us with their guns drawn And I knew we were in trouble because I was sitting in the the driver's wheel I looked to my left and there's a cop with a gun drawn at me and he's crying. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, this is not going to be... And so...
1: um, I don't even know how to process that. If I look, I'm like, oh, God, that guy is having a moment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I was 15.
2: You could get your driver's license in New Orleans really early. I was 15. And so... um, I got uh, me and like some of the guys in the van had a different experience because they got cops that were like more chill. The one that came at my door was not chill. Um, So, me and the guys in the front seat got taken out of the van and handcuffed on the side of the road. Uh, They took all this stuff. They took all of our gear out of the van. They like dumped it on the road and they were like looking for stuff. And then they were just like, it's not them. It's not them. And they literally just left us. Not them. Yeah. And so, and they all like, they all like pulled off. So we were just like, what is, what is happening? So I, am as a like, you know, 15 year old, I am like emotionally devastated. And so (laughs) I pile everybody back in the car. I'm like, everybody shut up. I'm going to go get my mom. (laughs) And so we drove back to my house and uh, I lived in, like, we had a nice big house with lots of bedrooms and space. And I was just like, everybody sleeps over. I'll take everybody home in the mornings. And so. Of course, my dad is, like, calling right. the police station. He's like, what was happening? And the cops were like, look, there had been a shootout in Fisher Project. A cop had died. They're on the warpath. They were in a white van. Your dumb kid is driving through Fisher Project at 1 o'clock in the morning he in a white van.
0: just like your dumb kid.
2: <laughs> well, they were, like, they were like, you know, you're lucky that we just didn't shoot the van. Right. And so it was like, okay. So that started this weird culture on top of the weird insider culture going with this other thing happening. That started at football season and then it would like slowly carry on kind of all through the year into the summer where every Friday night, anywhere from like 15 to 30 guys would come and spend the night at my house after a game. A lot of them would go home on Saturday. Some of them would be like, oh, no, no, we're sticking around to go to church on Sunday too. (laughs) And so then they'd stay Sunday. And then it got to like, by my junior year, we had guys like showing up with suitcases and they're like, yeah, we're, no, we're just going to be here We're here for the weekend,
1: maybe Monday.
2: Well, yeah, we'll be here until like Thursday (laughs) and then we'll like go home on Thursday and then we'll like come back Friday night. And a couple of guys just like lived with me. So we had a weird, I had a weird um, culture growing up. Yeah. We was like a frat house for high school (laughs) football players, group (laughs) home. And we had the insider going at the same time. That's yeah. was, and my parents liked it because we'd get these threats and it would be like, I'd be walking home when I said like somebody followed me home. It was like me and like 10 you said, yeah, protection. football players, <laughs> <right>. giant world-class <laughs> football players. We like, i like five members of my, of the team I played with went to the NFL. Right. Like, so oh, wow. and I think we sent like 21 wow. guys to D one school. So like, it was a machine, right? Like we were a football machine. So I'm walking home with these giant guys and like, you know, my mom was like, yeah, this is fine. Anybody who wants to stay at the house is fine. This is all. <laughs> that know, has its, its own good.
1: look though, too. Like, so if you're, you know, if you're the Nair do is watching you walk, you're like, all oh, right, well, they clearly hired protection.
2: They have, you know, he's, he yeah, <laughs> you know, sorry, yeah <laughs> something's yeah. going on.
0: Look at this. Look at yeah. this
2: kid. Yeah. Well, and my neighbors weren't too happy because we'd like to be playing basketball. In my driveway, real like we were loud. Sure. We were really loud. There'd be like fifteen high school football players playing basketball <laughs> in my driveway until like twelve thirty at night.
1: After the game,
2: right? So you come home. And yeah, my you're, poor neighbors right. were like, you know, yeah, always. They were always. My neighbor specifically was always yelling about bounce, bounce, thump, thump, bounce, bounce, thump, thump. That's all I hear all night. Bounce, bounce, thump, thump. <laughs> Yeah. Funny. So it
1: was, my, uh, yeah. I, I grew up in Annapolis, but our house was always the house that everybody collected at as well. To the point where like, I remember just distinctly, just that perspective where, um, you know, my mom, I forget, it was like little Debbie, like oatmeal bars or something just terrible, whatever. It was, yeah. it was fine, whatever. But I was like, mom, you don't need to buy these anymore. Like, I, I don't like them. My brother doesn't like them. You know, she's like, well, somebody's eating them. So I will buy them because somebody likes them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm like,
1: that's, okay, well, that's
0: cool, you know. So I, yeah, I had a similar experience. My house was pretty open and not uh, my friends would come over. I distinctly remember being upstairs once and hearing one of my friends come in, at least I thought I did, and then it's a while before I see him. He had just, you know, made himself a sandwich and decided <laughs> to I go said, the cabinet before out. he came and said hi. <laughs> <Right.
1: Need laughs> that's oh, okay.
2: hysterical. <laughs> yep.
1: That's cool. So you were you guys moved uh, I guess, north right before Katrina, right?
2: Yeah. We moved north right before Katrina. That was a weird experience. And my, yeah, I have a, one of those guys that like lived with us through football, actually like my family quasi adopted But I'm saying that because he was up here doing, um, he was, I think he was, that was the period where he was working. He's a hospital administrator and he was doing like a season with the VA in DC. And so I remember he and I, Dre and I would sit on the couch and watch. Um, He was really, my family had all left New Orleans at the time, but he, his mom and his dad who um, had lived in two different, were separated and his grandmother were all there. And so we would watch the TV. We just had the news on 24 seven, hoping to catch glimpses of them. Mm -hmm. We finally found his dad in the Superdome. Mm. Oh my God. Watching news footage. I think we had it on like CNN at the time. And they were like panning, the superdome, like everybody living in the superdome. He's like, there's dad. So like we found, oh we found his dad in the superdome. And then, um, his grandmother and his mom ended up having to evacuated to Mississippi. Mm. But, um, yeah, it was a, that was a weird, and I didn't go back to new Orleans. Mm. I didn't go back to new Orleans. Man. I think it was like my wife and I's 10th wedding anniversary. So I didn't go back until, you know, 11, 12 years after mm. Katrina. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was still then going back I grew up on the West Bank, um, which is if you've ever been in New Orleans and you're in the like tourist area of like the French Quarter, if you look across the river, mm-hmm. that's Algiers. That's um, so that was kind of where I grew up on the other side of the ferry. West Bank's the best bank. Uh, so, but we, um, I, I took my wife out and we were like driving around, and the street that I would equate in Baltimore to like North Avenue, where like there's always somebody out, there's always something happening, right. yeah. like. And, you know, you probably don't want to like get out of your car and walk around because especially late at night, because if you are, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's great people in those neighborhoods. There's also a lot of people walking around, like looking for trouble. So it's not a great place to, we drove down that street and it was like silent. It was like a ghost town. And this is still well after a decade after. And I remember telling her, I was like, this is so weird. Like this is, this should be this like, you know busy hop in place. And I took, I went out to lunch with some of my friends that still lived in Algiers and they were like, yeah, a lot of the houses were still abandoned. And they were just like, this city was mowing the lawns to like, you know, keep everything looking like people live there. But they're like, yeah, the, the back then Algiers had never been the same. And it's a weird, it's a weird thing to say, because in some ways I had friends leave New Orleans who had grown up in really impoverished areas. And then they, they moved to Houston and they got, a job they lived the government put them in a nice place they had you know better schools better life for their kids and it's opportunities
0: that didn't exist before
2: yeah it ended up being a weird like this is a way to escape and then that but that mixes with this grief and mourning for my city of like you can't in some ways i do feel it is reminiscent of baltimore like i i you know, have been all worked all through the city. And it's, there's places that are just like, this used to be a city. You can really feel this used to be a city for 1.5 million people and now it's down to like 500,000. Right. And like, you get into areas and it's like, yeah, this is falling apart because people aren't here mm-hmm. to live with it and keep it right. up. And so there's a mourning to that too. There's like a, you know, so it's a weird, you know, I think death and rebirth um, story around New Orleans. And around Baltimore, around a lot of our urban centers that is just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it. Does that make sense? It does. It
0: makes a lot of sense. It's tough. Uh, It's tough to look at when you're in the middle of it. It's tough to look back on it. Okay. So we're slowly making our way towards your writing, but it, you know, this is
1: (laughs) a picture of
0: (laughs) of privilege and hardship and mourning and understanding and empathy.
1: Yeah.
0: But that, well, Ken, what's your,
1: well, I I was just going to say, Obviously, being, you know, a lot of your books, very few of your books are written from privilege, you know, where your main characters are privileged, white, suburban sort of, you know, <laughs> Never, entitled yeah. people. Uh, so, yeah. I, I, I mean, not that, you know, obviously you're a good writer and, and um, you write characters and you're it's up to debate. And
2: you're creative. Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, but it's cool to see, I think that obviously has influenced some of where your heart lies and the stories and the storytellers within the story.
2: Yeah, I would say that writing fiction for me was a processing of trauma. Um, Still is. Even, and I, you know, that's a tough word, trauma, because it's like, nobody raped me, right? Like, I'm not like writing the Kite Runner. So maybe I should use the word struggle. Processing of struggle. Processing of past. It's a, you know, I started writing, I started writing fiction specifically because I left New Orleans, went to college, was pre-med in college. Some things happened. I ended up deciding to go to seminary, worked in a church in downtown Baltimore. Like, first worked in a college ministry in Texas for a while. Um, saw a lot of quote-unquote success by, like, that world standards. Moved to a church in Baltimore City and really transitioned work there to, you know, kind of what I saw as, like, going back to my roots. I worked a lot with like we did a lot of work with um high school students that uh lived in the inner city that were um just needed that like what would normally be suburban parental guidance. Mm-hmm. Um that like, you know, well like there's one family of kids who they just there's single mom. She worked as a nurse. You know, a lot of times she just wasn't home to like go to their parent teacher conferences right. or like do their homework with yeah. them or like make sure that they're so we would partner them up with a um affluent dual income, no kid family downtown Okay, and be like, Hey, your job is to like love this kid and not replace their parents, but like, yeah, that's a really fine
0: line. I mean, latchkey kids are essentially what you're talking about, but you know, I'm sure the families that have signed up have all the best intentions and all the love and patience to give, Mm -hmm. but you know, I mean, you're stepping into someone else's life. I'm sure those kids push back quite a bit.
2: They, um, yes and no, you know, it wasn't like, um, we were in partnership with, the, with their parents. Like, it wasn't like we were replacing anybody and they weren't assigned us. These were kids that like had come and joined the organization. And so we were like, but yeah, so it, it was, there was tough. I'm not going to say it was always smooth. There was tough times. I remember specifically I was at a camp one time and there's a, there's a kid from, uh, the West side who had brought a Game Boy. Mm-hmm. Or <laughs> it was like a handheld. It wasn't a Game Boy; it was a handheld, you know, thing. And we were supposed to have no electronics at this camp because the goal is to, like get them to unplug from yep. the world. And he was like six foot five; he was a giant kid, <laughs> and he was on the verge of like gang membership. And he and I squared off in a hallway, like eye to eye. And I remember about thirty seconds into the conversation. I was like, what am I doing? Can I take this <laughs> like, kid or not? Yeah.
1: This guy's gonna kill me. I'm like how how far am I gonna go?
2: How high up the hill yeah, am I gonna like, go? How, how how much do I actually care that he brought this device? Right. Um, can I just look at him at this point and be like, don't right. do it again? Uh so yeah, anyway. But yeah, so I I moved to the city and in that move, um working and we did a lot of like addiction recovery work too. In that move, really kind of fell out of love with institutional religion and started to really struggle with that. Like when was that? And what did it, mean? that was like 2000, uh, between 2004 and 2009. Okay. And Were so your parents really religious. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you grew up in a, grew up in a, in a home where like being on mission for God was life's purpose. Oh, okay. And so, you know, and my problem wasn't necessarily with like, the social justice aspect of that. I loved that. my issue was um, I couldn't get the institution of religion to align with what it said. It's mission yeah. in the world. And so I am getting to writing, I promise. So <laughs> I, I think really, it's all interesting. I, I mean, I think
1: it's, you know, what, yeah. I mean, shapes you is what kind of flows into. You.
2: Yeah. So my, we ended up leaving. I quit my job and I was like, I'm going to be a monastic. Mind you, I have four kids at this point. So my wife and I, we leave my job. Um, I go to work. I take a temp gig. And I'm at first I was working as like a box packer at a paper plant. So I was literally like one of like five people on a wow. single line. They'd pass me a box. I'd like open it and then pass it to the next person. <laughs> um, I did that for a while. And then the temp agency figured out that I knew how to use Excel. And so... <laughs> They sent me to the American Urological oh. Museum. Oh. And I was the secretary for a guy uh, named uh I won't say his name. He was in Florida and my job was, was to like sit Dick? at the desk. Stop. No, it was <laughs> that would be great. Oh <laughs> uh, when he would call, my job was to like do whatever he needed done, like be his hands and feet in Maryland while he was in uh, Florida. So I'd like run around and hand messages okay. to people. This was fun. I had a good time. But uh in the processing of all of that. I started writing fiction. <laughs> that was when I started like, and so we ended up like helping build a charter school in Baltimore city, which was super exciting and inspired a lot of creativity. That was which really, one? um, we were part of the city neighbors. It's still there. Um, movement. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Amazing schools. Um, there's three of them. There's city neighbors, uh, proper, and then there's city neighbors, Hamilton, which was the school I helped found. And then I helped build uh city neighbors high school. Mm, so awesome. Um, that was a blast and you know that really got me thinking creatively I think for the first time I gr- i'm I'm dyslexic um not English was always a pain in the butt mm-hmm. music music I was a music minor in school God. loved music I was a music minor who hated to practice I started college as a music major oh, wow. and I was a vocal performance major and i uh I hated practice <laughs> and so when I was supposed to practice I'd go play racquetball but then I'd have to go into these voice lessons where my accompanist had all my music memorized that I didn't have any uh, of them yeah. memorized. And I'd like be sitting in my voice teacher's office. His name was John McLean. He was a like diehard. He was a big um, <laughs> was opera yeah. singer. And he would uh, he would throw um, pencils at me when I could. When, I, <laughs> when he'd catch me looking at her music, he'd like throw pencils at me. So I changed my major to pre-med and he came to me and he said, uh, I'm going to make a deal with you. He's like, I know you're going to be pre-med. He's like, I promise I will give you a C if you promise to never come back to the girls <laughs> And I was like, you could just go. That'd be great. Yeah. He's like, just leave. No, come back to my class. Wow. You could have a C. Wow. I was like, that's we're agreed. You and I are on the same that's page. Awesome. Um yeah. So anyway, but that was the first, like being part of City Neighbors really inspired, like, oh, there's something beautiful in the creativity of art. It was, it was um what they call Reggio Emilia inspired project-based learning. So it was, What's that um, mean that's a lot of words. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Project-based means um rather than teaching like a topic rather than teaching like, okay, today we're going to learn our five times tables mm-hmm. for an hour. And then we're going to move into like, now we're going to read this book. And now we're going to do this thing. You try to, you help the kids develop a project that, um, includes all of those skills so let's study an ecosystem through the studying of the ecosystem we're going to learn our times tables we're going to read this stuff we're going to work on our science but it it engages the kids around a creative project that allows that because it comes from the children, inspires their interest and excites them. Reggio Emilia is a, is a way of education that empowers parents in the school. So we, I was on the the parent board that like ran the school, and every family had to give so many hours to the school for your kid to be a part of it, which was really beautiful. It was a great way to yeah, like that's nice. holistic education. A
0: much yeah. better way than the like, Moms for Liberty bullshit of...
2: <laughs> Parents, it's kind of the actively opposite getting
0: involved. Yeah. Yeah. In the best yeah. way.
2: Yeah. Um, and it was, um, yeah. So it was really good. It was a, but being in that environment, I think helped me unlock some things personally creatively. Cause as I'm working with these kids, I'm like, yeah, I like to do this too. Um, so I started with short stories. Like a lot of people. What was the first who, one you wrote? Oh, I don't remember. I got, I had this moment at my day job. Cause I went back to work for churches for a bit. I had this moment in my day job where I kind of wrote a wrote a, okay, well that was, I wrote a non, like I wrote a pamphlet for the community I was working with uh-huh. about a nonfiction topic. And in it, I started with this big illustration of a experience I'd had where I was with a religious group trying to decide whether or not drinking at a party was okay. And if we're not drinking at the party, what behavior at the party is okay, and so the group and I had made this long list of rules about what you could and couldn't do at a party. And I'm sorry, um, who's the audience for the pamphlet again? It was church, church okay. people. Oh, um, and so Love I was writing eight? about how, the, yeah, well, the pamphlet was about how absurd rulemaking okay, is and oh, how okay. stupid, how stupid this activity of like drawing lines around who's inside and who's outside. How's that go over in hell. church? Well, that community went great. They were really all <laughs> for it. Um, not, but other, other communities have been a part of, they're not, they're not
1: they're not. They're not on why you
2: shouldn't judge people. <laughs> I'm currently, I, and I will just say I'm currently on my wife and I were counting them last week, uh, because of something that happened. I'm currently on 22 interventions where I've had religious people ask me out for coffee mm. Because they've heard something yeah. I've said or read something I've written and they're like, we need to, we're worried about Jeff's salvation. and Oh, soul. they're trying
0: we... to re-religious you.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're trying to re-religious me. They want to express their concern for my uh, thoughts and understandings and explain that I've moved outside of appropriate uh, thinking. Mm. <laughs> And so that's, but I feel like there's a set of essays in there. You know? my God, it's like, and yeah. Every time you just
1: update it, you're like, okay, here is this <laughs> just one. Just, just, one. Just, you know,
0: it's getting too logical. We need to dial it back.
1: 23 <laughs> <in>. <laughs> Location, <laughs> Starbucks.
2: Yeah, Starbucks. Yeah, man, so many, so many red canoe, location, red canoe. <laughs> premise for meeting, want to catch up with your life. Right, right. Um, actual premise for meeting, angry about blog you wrote. Yeah, so it was so. Um, But yeah, so that kind of started in two thousand four, and just being in that environment, I think writing short stories was helpful. So the reason I can't remember the first one I wrote is because I had a year where I just something unlocked in me, and I wrote a short story every night. That's Um, great. Yeah, I would crank out like two to five thousand words a night. Like after the family had gone to bed, I'd just like go for hours, and that was how I learned to write fiction. Was that locked up in there? Yeah. Well, and you'd run into like, I'd run into problems. I'd be like, this isn't, this story isn't emotionally moving in the way I want it to move. Mm -hmm. And I'm an, I'm a pretty obsessive compulsive learner. So I'd be like, oh, it's not moving how I want it to move. And so, you know, you start at Google and then you're like reading Wikipedia articles on act structure. And then you're like reading articles on scene. And it's like, well, this is the book that's being cited. So I go buy that book and I read that. That, that went on. The short story thing went on for a year. I ended up starting a, an online literary journal because I. something you'll learn as we talk more is that I don't do anything halfway. I'm always like all in all the time. <laughs> I'm in therapy. That's good. So, <laughs> I <laughs> came from therapy right before the <laughs> session. <laughs> Sorry, I'm in therapy for it. Um, but so I was like, I've got all these stories. I had like 60 stories at this point. I was like, I got all these stories. I got to put them somewhere. And I I looked at, like, research, like, how do you publish short stories? Mm -hmm. And there was this, like, you know, submit to a magazine, make sure you write what the magazine wants, make sure you read all the things beforehand, and then, like, once you submit, hold that story, don't submit it anywhere else, and they may or may not ever actually get back to Mm -hmm. you, give them a time limit, like... Just the setup that is like the the slush pile of publishing. Yeah, so
0: are you anything like me, where you see this and you think, "Well, these rules sound really archaic. How can I do this faster?"
2: Oh, yeah, that's totally what I did. <laughs> so I was like, "I'm just going to start my own journal. I'm starting my own magazine." <laughs> and so I started like this, you know, online. I called it Short Fiction Break, a literary journal, and people started emailing me. They're like, "Hey, can we put our stuff nice. on there too?" They like it. That was like, yeah. It's a
1: rigorous, rigorous process. Uh, You just submit some stuff. (laughs)
2: That's right. Yeah, rigorous process. (laughs) Email me. I'll have it up in an hour. (laughs) Like that that was kind of like, so we ended up, I ended up having like 15 authors doing that with me and I was spending way more time editing than I was writing, Hmm. which was weird because that was how I learned to edit was just like editing like, Oh, this isn't, this needs work. I'd read it. I'd be like, Oh, this needs work. I don't really know what I'm doing. You don't really know what you're doing, but we can figure it out together. And so um, I did that for kind of a year. And then I ended up giving that away to a friend because I took another, religious-based job, and they were like, the stuff you're writing is a little too dark and a little too Was weird. that
1: after coffee number, what, 13? is that in that zone, I was probably on like 10, 9 or 10. The, that, that guy? guy the, the, I feel like we should make a note of what was in the <laughs> techniques.
2: There is a weird conversation that happens in those where it's like, every time I have one, I'm like, you realize all you're succeeding in doing is making me more. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's like, right. So they escalate. I've had more. Right. Um, if there's an exponential growth right. curve to these. Uh, so yeah, I, I went back to work for another religious organization, and in my in my like hiring conversation, they were like, "Well, we kind of want you to tone down publishing anything because it's really uh, dark." And I was like, "Well, I, you know, I'm processing. I'm not directly writing about it, but I'm processing all these emotions I had when like a you know a, a crying a cop who's got a tear stained face is pointing a gun at me. Like, yeah. I'm processing now in my 30s what that yeah. felt. Like.
0: Were you seen as like a voice of the what's the word I'm looking for? Were you, <laughs> were you seeing his voice for the church in any way?
2: Yeah, well, yeah. And that was their problem. This organization's problem specifically is they're like, you represent sure. us. And so we can't have you putting this stuff out Yeah,
0: there. Was that accurate? Were you representative?
2: <sighs> no, I don't think so. I don't know. It's hard <laughs> to know. Yeah. They fired me after three yeah. months anyway. <laughs> so they, they fired me because they, they, I felt I wasn't humble enough and I did, didn't, uh, they questioned my relationship with Jesus. I was going to say it takes a lot to get fired from a church.
1: Were they like, all right, we're going to tell Jesus, we're going to give you a C. Yes. <laughs> if you could just go. If you promised not to come back. If you could just yeah. leave, that'd be great. It's, if you promised yes, not to come Jesus, back. He did some real mediocre C work, though.
2: That's right. We'll tell we'll tell Peter at the Pearly Gates that we still approve <laughs> right. of your right. interest. That's, right. you know? That's right. You have to go sit in a little corner of heaven by yourself <laughs> with a dark cloud that you can get in. Um Yeah, so I, I. that was um but that was when I shifted to novels. Um when they fired me, I was I had a novel in a drawer and I um I had been kind of playing around with writing a series with a friend, and they fired me. And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna make the, my first series I call my angry series because it's like, <laughs> I'm going to make this as dark as I possibly right. can. This is going to be. So it's about homeless superheroes in Baltimore that um fight invisible yeah. monsters uh, that nobody can see. I like it. And it's a lot of me like processing my years of like dealing with the addiction recovery community and like, you know, what are these? we uh, My friend and I had actually been working um with an organization downtown that's a shelter organization. And we had been helping this one guy giving him rides to places and stuff is he like was because the, the bureaucracy of putting your life back together is nonsense. Once you're, you're unhoused and you're unemployed and you've lost your ID, the bureaucracy around getting those things back Mm-hmm. it's just, you don't have an address. So how do you get an ID right. card? Right. Like that kind of stuff is just, so we'd end up just like driving people to like hospitals and you kind of learn the tricks of the system. You're like, all right, we can go to a hospital that you were at. We can get, a if they have a record with your name, we can get that record. We can take that, that social security. will accept that record as evidence that you're of person. who you are. Right. Like, yeah, you just learn the tricks. And so that like to help people navigate the bureaucracy, we were hanging out with one dude who was really odd because he never talked, and I think that made us start like joking about like maybe he's like actually like a secret agent, and that led to the series of like <laughs> oh. the main char- one of the main characters actually based on him of like no he's a he's a he's a superhero right. that's actually very he's not has mental difficulties which I think he actually had he's not like schizophrenic he actually is seeing <laughs> real things that we can't see so that that led to the first series and that was kind of where how writing connects to my past for me is it's a way of processing things that I've seen, things uh-huh. that I've done. My second series is about a detective who relives, uh, memories when she touches people. And the problem I, uh, that she has is that not good
0: memories. Uh, I'm assuming
2: not sometimes good. Sometimes not oh, the okay. memories. Um, but I was playing a lot with what is memory what are these stories that we hang on to and are they actually true? Mm-hmm. And so she's constantly having to sort out what's real and what's not real and what's like a magic. And there's that thought, you know, that like you
1: only remember something once, you know, and then the next time you remember yeah. it, you're remembering when you remembered it before. And so it's because yeah. Yeah, it, of whitewashed and polished a little bit each time.
2: Yeah. And I would say at the time when I wrote this series, I was really struggling with – My own memories. Mm -hmm. And like, because in these stories that I tell, I'm the hero. But in other people's perspective, I'm definitely the villain. And so, you know, struggling with that, like, why do I tell myself this narrative when somebody else tells themselves this narrative? Where is the truth found in these narratives? Like, just doing my own emotional processing, you know, thinking about what does it mean in life to be on mission? Because I had a long... Period where I was like, you know, trying to live up to the mirage of my father's glory, mm-hmm. like just chasing it in the sand all the time. And so it's got to be a
1: lot there. I mean, just like you just described him, and he sounds yeah. like an amazing person. And it's just like, all right, the mantle. And he's right? amazing.
2: It's not his fault that I'm like trying to do the world changing things that he right. did and like constantly instead, like spending my days hanging out with a home with homeless guys in Baltimore and being like, <laughs> where's the glory? <laughs> right, right. Um, so. Yeah, so it's great that he
0: was, you know, like a beacon of light for you and, you know, not just like a titan of industry or something, but like, uh, someone who did good things, a lot of good things.
2: He did a lot of good things in the world. And I think for a long time, I pushed my family and myself so hard because I was trying to replicate the level of success that he'd seen. Mm -hmm. And, um, Yeah. Writing was also a way to process that. And that second series about memory was a lot of processing Mm -hmm. that was a lot of like, you know, I hold on to these narratives about who he was and who I was and who all these people are. And then there are competing narratives in the world. And like, even my wife and I, when we experience something together, I'll see it one way, she'll see it another. So for me, that second series really came out of like, what are we talking about when we say somebody remembers something? And if a detective is dependent on other people's memories to solve a crime, what does that mean for her? Like well, how does that how does how does she actually go about finding a clue in there? Yeah. And then she she runs into kind of a nefarious group that understands what she does and they start implanting false memories. Like I I start having fun with it. But yeah, it's a yeah, but that's where writing comes from for me, is that like processing stuff. It's cool. I mean yeah, that odd ought-
0: I was going to say that all adds up to like richer storytelling, you know, it gives it some depth and uh, some real meaning behind it versus just an idea for a story.
2: Yeah, your lips to Amazon reviews, <laughs> please. Yeah. Everybody, listen. Yes. Jeff Elkins, richer deeper yes. story. Put that on the cover. Well,
1: I, I, I was actually, I, I was sort of going to go the, the opposite direction. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> Just kidding. Super yeah. shallow
2: and super shallow. And it's funny because yeah. it doesn't
1: really come across in your. Right.
2: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's an ideal. It's an ideal I'm striving. I'd like for the reviews to go ahead and put it into the world and maybe I can beat it I, in the future. I was just going to say
1: that you, it, it, obviously you're coming from a place that is grounded and, and experienced and, and sort of, you know, and it's good in that way. I would say, too, that it's awesome the way that you've channeled that into like the fun sort of supernatural aspect of it, too. You know, it's not it, it's gritty, but not like overly. Heavy, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm saying it's
0: is everything yeah. you write in the horror genre.
2: No, actually, nothing is. I would put it in the like um, thriller genre. Psycho I write, thriller. yeah, uh, like urban yeah. fantasy thriller. Um, urban, fa- I mean, you know, there's like ten gazillion categories on Amazon. Like, sure. you know, we can get down like super niche. But I describe it as like supernatural thriller with a okay. touch of humor. Like the last, this, the book I'm, the books we just published, I co-wrote them with my friend J.P. Um, They are Ghostbusters meets Brooklyn Nine Nine. So it's that like great elevator supernatural pitch. thriller with a lot of like stupid comedy.
0: Is that nerds?
2: Yeah, that's nerds. Yeah. That's uh, nationally recently deceased services. <laughs> um, they're a uh, bureaucratic organization of, of the government. Like they're, they're an arm of the government that everybody's kind of forgotten about. They're not secret. People just, they're yeah. kind of like the FDA. People just don't think about them. Do you know any nerds? illustrators?
0: That would make a great comic series.
2: You know, I'm actually, so this is a weird thing. I, I never finished my first series. Uh-huh. I owe it two more books. I just stopped writing it. We can get into that if you want to. I don't know if you want to. I have, I struggle. I used to struggle. I still struggle with a massive amount of self-doubt. So don't we all? I, yeah, I quit it in the middle of it and walked away from it. Um. So I'm coming back to finish it, but I'm actually using mid journey to illustrate it as I rewrite
0: it. What's that? Cause I was
2: like, I got a mid journeys, an AI graphic design program. Okay. So, I've paid in the past illustrators to help me with things. And, you know, part of my publishing journey that's been really tough is that publishing is like starting a small business. It requires capital. Mm -hmm. It -hmm. requires money to do. When I was working for churches and like, you know, I'm the temp secretary for the (laughs) American (laughs) Urological Association. I I have any money. Like we were barely paying bills. I got four kids. I was living below the poverty line for a lot of that time. Like we don't, we didn't have any, so I'm writing these books and I'm like,
0: well, Why how do I publish
2: this? this thing? Yeah. So yeah, you can't I'm like, print 4,000
0: know, copies and sit on No, them.
2: I can't print any copies, but I can go to KDP. Like I can go to Kindle direct publishing and I can like put out an ebook copy and then I can go to create space back then. And now it's that got absorbed and absorbed into KDP. I can like do what they used to call vanity publishing, where I put it up. And if somebody buys it, they get shipped a copy, but I couldn't pay for marketing. I couldn't pay for, you know, cover designers and my story in publishing has been like slowly as I found success, taking the money that I find from books and from different things I do in the author space and putting that back into the work mm-hmm. so that I can like improve things. So, you know, now all my books have pro- professionally designed covers. It wasn't that way for a while. It was like, <laughs> Jeff is like throwing things together. on right. uh, am <laughs> So, you know, but, um, I think the next step for me, we, I always envisioned that first series in a graphic novel format. So, Um, figuring out how, you know, I still don't have a lot of disposable income. I got two kids in college. I have five children, two kids in college. Things are tight. Yeah, weird, weird, very anxious (laughs) dog. Um, Weird, anxious COVID dog (laughs) running around. Um, But mid-journey is a way that I can like, okay, I can pay a small monthly subscription and illustrate these books. Like it's using those tools. Mm -hmm. Would I prefer to pay a, Professional yeah. artist, one thousand percent. If there's a professional artist that's willing to pay what I pay mid-journey, I would much rather work with <laughs> right. you. But in the meantime, this is how I'm going to do it. But yeah, so I'm I'm actually working through my goal this year is to put out the the two remaining novels of that finished series that I never finished. It's got five novels in it right now. It needs seven. So, and I ended it on a cliffhanger. The readers were really pissed. Right? Over. You should talk to
0: George R. R. Martin. <laughs> I hear he's been having trouble working right. on something
2: <laughs> yeah whatever he's fine hbo paid so much money in fact if hbo would like to pay me to finish a series Christ. max can have it i will never write the next book three you months guys can finish it for yeah. me yeah
1: <laughs> go do your thing i'm questioned on you so uh you've collaborated on the tour series um, yeah tour 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 series. series how, yeah. how does that come about or how do you're like you know do you divide and conquer what's that workflow like
2: uh it depends on the authors you're working with. So like. Again, the first series I collaborated on um, with my best friend, it, he, and um, it was a lot of fun. I, don't, I wouldn't call either of us authors at that point. Like it's a weird. There's a weird thing in this. Like when would I call myself a writer? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's a qual. There I have a demarcation point in my head. It was about book three. I was like, okay, I now know what I'm doing. You know, this year I'll have a book. I've got a book coming out in July, and I think it'll be book number 21 for me. But um, you're almost a writer. I'm almost a writer. That's going to be a big day for you. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be. We'll have a party. I'll invite you guys over. We'll have cake. It'll be (laughs) fun. Um, Yeah, so it's, but it was, it is weird like that. Like I didn't hold my first quote unquote event as an author until last year. Mm. Um, You know, and at that point, I'm 19 books. I've got 19 books on the market and I'm still like, I don't know if I have any books to right. sell. I'm like, what do you, you know, there's that <laughs> weird thing as man, That's a- Yeah. Constantly battling that. But anyway, so co-authoring, um, we came up with the idea together and when we started it, we were just kind of like goofing yeah. around. Um, I will say one of the struggles he and I have had is that I really caught the writing bug and was like, yeah, I'm driving with this. Mm-hmm. He the plan the initial plan was he was going to write books one two and three and I was going to write books four five and six, and I wrote books three four five six and seven before he finished one. The and Alexander that Hamilton of. yeah and that's that's not a criticism of him that was kind of an asshole move on my part so like you know he was a part of all of those it's not like i ditched it It was like i'm gonna go write these but that was one way we split it up was like he took this character in this part of the series and then i took these characters in this part of the series and we like and there we built a big timeline of like Mm -hmm. here's the 40-year timeline of our story and i was like i'm writing from i'm writing the last 20 years you're writing the first Mm -hmm. 20 years but because there was a like generational shift in the middle it worked fine because we didn't have to overlap we overlapped we had a shared narrative history but we didn't have to overlap character arcs does that make sense yeah um yeah so that's one way i've done it with jp and i when we write nerds he's funny he they had just launched this was like a year and a half ago they had just launched Kindle della which was like a Amazon, a thing Amazon did to try to get a hold of, like, serial fiction markets. So the idea of the old school, like, you know, Edgar Allan Poe used to publish a story in the Baltimore mm-hmm. Star, like, mm-hmm. every, you know, once a week or whatever. Um, and people would just show up to read that thing. There's a lot of serial markets out there that, like, this person, and a lot of it's, like, fan fiction. They're like, this this person just puts up an ongoing blog, and you pay a subscription to, like, read that ongoing story. You know, I think... uh Oh, I, man, I'm I'm dropping her name, which makes me really angry, but there's a, because um, she's wonderful. There's a writer that does a whole series like Elevator Girl and like Holiday Girl. Oh man, why can't I remember her name? Hopefully she never listens <laughs> to this so she won't I'm, come out of me. Um, she does like- We'll edit get it in is, later. Thanks. You get a, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look it up for you. She's <laughs> edited it in like a really deep voice that doesn't match right <laughs> at all. Um, really
0: high squeaky voice.
2: Really high squeaky voice. <laughs> um, she, uh, she does- um, she publishes like 500 words a day. That's like Vela type, like serial type fiction. So JP reached out to me. He was doing a podcast on serial fiction. And he was like, he reached out to me. He's like, hey, are you thinking about Vela? And I was like, do you want to write one? I've got five ideas. And he was like, no, I wanted to interview about one. But yeah, let's write one together. <laughs> so um, in that partnership, he he does the plotting and I do the drafting because that's where we both kind of, he likes the bigger story arc and I like the scene level work. Mm, I like the character interactions. So he does the, he'll give me like a plot line of like, Hey, here's the next five scenes. Yeah. And yeah, I need this to be accomplished in each scene. Usually he's like, they're in this place. Here's the conflict of the scene. Like here's, and by conflict, like here's the driving force of the conversation. Cause you know, thinking of scenes as like a conversation between characters. Like here's the driving force of the conversation. And then like, for me, it's like, okay, I'm going to jump in. Uh, and then, well, he'll give me the driving force. And then he's like, these are the like actual content notes that need to happen. He's like, here's the three things that need to get across. So now I've got like a location and like a driving, And then I'm like, well, how do I get into that? How do I get mm-hmm. out of it? And then I like write the scene and then he edits it. And then that's how we that's get cool. and We move scene by scene that way. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. He and I, and we're very different in that I tend to find a lot of joy and humor in weird offshoot conversations. And uh, I will also tend to go very emotionally dark. Mm -hmm. So I have that weird balance of like, you know we're debating what kind of marshmallow is the best kind of like a, you know, the movie diner style, right. weird conversation. That uh-huh. has nothing to do with anything. We're arguing about like is Bruce, Wise Bruce Springsteen called right. the boss? And then in, like my next scene, like, you know, I kill a girl's parents and we have to like watch her cry in a parking <laughs> lot. JP is like very like lighter and like he has a, a more um kind of joke punchline touch. So he'll come into my weird story and like actually add a punchline so it. Is funny. And then not just a weird conversation. And then he'll like read my like, man, you were going through something today when you killed that girl's dad, weren't you? I was like, yeah. So he'll like pull it back a little bit. So it's not as like um, intensely emotional all the time. But That's cool. Yeah. That's so we, will, good
0: that, I mean, right. I think the levity is what makes it more intensely emotional. You know, you're breaking it up comedy and I'm going to say horror, even though you're talking thriller, but yeah, yeah. anything dark, you know, you're mm-hmm. trying to elicit the same response from a viewer or a reader. Where you want a reaction?
2: Yeah, that's my goal. My goal as an artist is: can I take you on an emotional journey? Like, yeah. can I make you? Can I make you feel something?
0: If you just stay story. dark all the time, then you know you, there's not much of a roller coaster. There's not many peaks yeah. and valleys. It,
2: it becomes predictable. They know mm. what to expect. They're like, oh yeah, this is yeah okay. Jeff is making Jeff is have it, somebody's crying again. Um, so it's that like you know, re- and I think um, there's a beauty in what I really like about storytelling is there's a beauty in watching a character grow and change. So, mm-hmm. and if that journey of growth doesn't have emotional highs and lows, then it's kind of boring, right? Like it's not really a story worth telling. We want to, right. we want that emotional journey of evolution where we can, and it doesn't always have characters don't always have to grow positively. Like I've written a lot of characters that have a negative growth arc where they're like, this character is kind of descending Into what does the reader you're watching the character the whole time? Like, no, 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 please don't, please don't do that. Right. Like, and so, you know, going, going full Dostoevsky on a character, (laughs) like that, like, just like that, watching that, like, downward descent, I think is also captivating in a way that we can't look away from.
0: Kafka esque as well.
2: Yeah. Very Kafka. I was actually just. I was I was dealing with the NBA last uh, on Monday, and I was sitting there. I was like, I'm in a Kafka novel. Uh, but yeah, it's that like
0: somebody is just torturing you know, me. They
2: keep pulling me into these interviews with no purpose. Um, so, yeah, but it's that uh, it's that a uh, that weird. Uh, you know, I think that what I connect to in story is I like to be emotionally surprised. Sure, and so, yeah. but it it has to make cohesive sense, right? Sure. Like. I don't want to be emotionally surprised and like, why in the hell is that person crying? Mm-hmm. I want to be emotionally surprised and like, I didn't expect you to take me here, but I've come along the full journey and I understand how we
0: That's got great. here. That's
2: great. Yeah. Kind of like, a, have y'all read any Friedrich Bachman? He writes, um, he wrote a man called Ove. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, man, he is, he wrote Beartown. Oh, so good. Uh, I haven't great. read that
0: yet, but it's Megan's like favorite book she's ever read. Yeah, is it a series or is it one book? I think it's, it's a series, a series right? it's, it's three, three books. books. Yeah, she loved him. Yeah. It's a
2: hockey yeah. one. Yeah. And I hate hockey, but man, I loved Beartown. Yeah. Uh, she um, did the same thing. Yeah. It's it's and I actually appreciated hockey after watching Beartown. It was like welcome to Wrexham with soccer. I was like, oh <laughs> I, I like soccer now. Um yeah, but it's um he does a really amazing job at taking you on an on an expected, not expected, a um anticipated but surprising emotional journey. Mm-hmm. We're like I can see where we're going, and I'm surprised that we got here. And I've been I've understood every step along the way. Like it's a great. He's a really good. Yeah, T. that's J. A Klune, Yeah, T.J. Clune does it well too. If you've ever read like um, uh, what was his most uh, a house a house in the Cerulean oh, Sea? Yeah. We've
1: read
0: that. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, Megan read that one. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, it's another great one. That's just like this is a beautiful kind of emotional journey of this character, Linus. Yeah. Watching him move from like a a alone bureaucrat who finds comfort in the rigidity of his rules and laws to being pushed to accept this group of magical children, um, who are outside of all of his bounds and ultimately fight Mm -hmm. for them, you know,
1: fight for them, yeah, fight for them,
2: yeah, and come to understand that like his identity is actually found not in the rigidity of rules, but in like community and family that he's a part of. Like, it's there's a beautiful kind of crafting there of narrative that I'm really impressed with. Yeah, yeah. That's
0: very cool. So you're teaching all this stuff too, right?
2: Yeah, I do. I teach it. I teach it as, um, did my teacher hat come on too much? I'm sorry. Uh,
0: <laughs> no, I just wanted like, to help hat. you plug something, you know?
2: Yeah, no, I, uh, I teach writing as the dialogue doctor. So I, um, that started, that was a man, that was a desperation project of my, uh, having to pay for a kid going to college and not having any money, um, from years of or financial choices working for nonprofits. Um, I was like, I got to get some money fast. Uh, I, in my day job, I, um, for the last nine years, I've worked for a company that um, simulates difficult conversations for professionals to practice. So we work with like suicide prevention work and like uh, a lot of like opioid recovery work
0: that could transfer over somehow.
2: (laughs) So I didn't see it, but I was talking to a friend who's also an author and I was like, my fiction isn't making enough money to put my kid through college, mm-hmm. um, which man, someday, any minute now. Mm. Um, <laughs> but so I was like, it's, uh, I need, um, I need to figure out some other way. And my friend was like, why don't you take all that stuff that you do in your day job, which is mimicking dialogue mm-hmm. of different professions. And why don't you like teach it to writers? Mm. And I was like, Oh yeah, I could do that. So And then it's also, you know, coming from a really diverse background, understanding how people talk, understanding like body language, understanding how to read motivations and wants and needs, understanding how to empathize with a large amounts of different types of people that all goes into like writing character dialogue. So my, I think my background was kind of perfectly groomed me to teach dialogue. It seems like for your, you know, where you're
1: coming from, just the range of people that you probably were exposed to along your journey. You know, type, types yeah. of people and how they, how they are, you know, it's a good, good.
2: World yeah. World and world. just, you know, you just get an ear, you just start listening to different ways people talk and you start to understand like, oh, the way people talk connects a lot with their personality mm-hmm. and a lot with their background, like character. So translating that into writing fiction, you know, we teach people like, let's build your character background from your background. Let's develop your character personality from your character personality. Let's develop a character voice and um yeah so that's great that's uh, it's the dialogue doctor i have a weekly podcast where i like do an editing session with um somebody live and uh then i do um we teach i say we cuz there's i have two other coaches now that do it with me but we teach um three master classes a hmm. year no this year we're doing two we're doing one on writing intimacy and one on um writing uh using personality tests uh and how to translate that into your character work cool did the church approve
0: these? They do not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they really don't. they actively. They're not approving things. Um, and then uh, we do like uh, we do this one program twice a year called the Dialogue Dash, where we do like we have a workbook that we put together. that's like thirty days of planning, thirty days of writing sprints, and then we do um, twenty days of editing. Hmm. And the idea is that like, it actually comes from the years when I was writing a short story. If you can, if you can crank out 2000 words a night, we can get you to 60 K in 30 days, but it takes a lot of planning, right? It takes 30 days of planning to be able to do that, to write a cohesive novel that way. And then you can have 60 K in 30 days. And then for, you know, two weeks, we're going to teach you how to edit that. And we're going to show you like, that's awesome. Here's how you edit the. Here's here's the tools you need to actually take that nonsensical 60k that doesn't do right. anything you want it to do, and actually turn it into the novel you want. So Yeah, you
0: need a roadmap before you start driving, and then yeah. you need to be able to cut stuff.
2: Yeah, but yeah, so that's my that's my side hustle that I do, and on and top of writing fiction, your
0: podcast, uh, talking about leaving the church.
2: I have a t- I have a podcast for people who have left the church, which actually comes off of um, I did a weird interview. Man, maybe a year and a half ago, I was on there. I I got on a pod. I wrote a novel that the launch was a complete failure, which is a bummer. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote a novel called Inside Outside that is kind of a fictional retelling of my experience in Baltimore City (laughs) and in like my frustration with institutional religion. And I still think it's the best novel I've read. It, uh, it del- there was all kinds of things that got screwed up with the distribution so it had a really bad mm-hmm. launch so not a lot of people got a hold of it I keep thinking I'll re it go like again time yeah why not that time well it's just time I need to cut the first six chapters it was I like I had a friend who writes screenplays and he was like you should make it into a screenplay and try to sell it as a series and so I was like okay huh. and then when you look at your novel as a screenplay you look at it in a completely different way mm-hmm. and so I'm reading the first chapter I'm like no that's not a good opening scene <laughs> I'm like I can cut that I read the second chapter it's like now, not a good opening scene for a for a for a visual medium. Got to cut yeah. that. I got to like chapter six, and is I was there like, a book damn, here. All of these, all of these have <laughs> to go. All of these chapters have to go. It's a completely so,
0: different form of writing.
2: Totally different. I got to yeah. chapter seven, and I was like, "Oh, this is where it starts." And I was like, "Not just this is where the movie starts, but this <laughs> is where the book actually starts right. too." Oh, so I keep telling myself I'm going to cut the first six chapters and relaunch it, but which is appropriate because it's an insanely long book that isn't necessary. But yeah. So anyway, I was doing an interview about that book and I had a publisher reach out to me and was like, Hey, I want you to write a, you know, kind of theological memoir, like a thoughts on God. He just wanted a book about like, I want a book about the church, Mm -hmm. a nonfiction book about the church from you. And I was like, that's boring. I don't want to write that. (laughs) And so I was like, I, I, but I really like Ta-Nehisi Coates. I don't know if y'all have ever read any of his work. He's a, he's a genius. And he writes, he wrote, um, between the world and me, which is his memoir about growing up, uh, as a, as a black man first in Baltimore and then at Howard university. Mm -hmm. And he wrote it as a letter to his kid Mm. and it's brilliant. Like the, the format is brilliant because it, gives an immediate intimacy and vulnerability he's allowed to have because technically he's talking right. to his son. Yeah, so right. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. So I wrote a, I wrote a, the book is a letter to my children about what I've learned about the institutional church. Mm. And it's, huh. um, but so I, I was writing the book and I was like, you know, I need somewhere to process these thoughts um, because so much of writing nonfiction is about, you know, you're in dialogue with yourself about these thoughts you're having. And so I was like, I need somewhere to process these thoughts. And um, if this is going to have any success at all, I don't want to have another failed launch. Um, I probably need to be talking about it publicly. Yeah.
0: More. Well, you grow and evolve as a person, especially over the past, what, 20, 30 years. And to yeah. expect to think and follow the same things is just insane. You know, it has to be a dynamic process for you and yeah. then when you get people coming at you that are telling you to come back to what you were it's it's yeah, very childish um i experienced yeah. that for the first time when i went to college in the buckle of the bible belt in the south nice. uh and i'd never been around anything like that before but i was around southern baptist and i remember my first weekend at college i met some people who were like hey you want to go camping with us it's like yeah like we're in a beautiful part of the country." Like, <laughs> Do it, you know. Should I pick up some beers or something? They're like, no, man. Just bring your guitar. We're we're gonna sit around a pot of fire and play some uh, praise songs. It'll be great. Yeah,
2: excuse me. Uh-huh. Oh. Uh, praise what? Praise. Yeah, I also like music. <laughs> um, yeah, that's.
0: Uh... I'm also Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: man did, yeah, did so they slowly like, back away or did you back away
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. How did that end? It,
0: it's always the answer oh it doesn't matter what you are you uh, can just come into it. i was right. like well and i also don't really like religion on top of
2: that <laughs> yeah, right. it doesn't matter what you are we'll change Fred. you
0: it's yes. fine right
2: yeah yeah so that's uh yeah anyway that so that book comes out in july um i actually owe. what's today i owe my editor the publisher my final drafts tomorrow I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make that. Um, You're wasting no. your time with us. What are you doing? <laughs> that, so is it a novel or is it did
1: you go the that non No, it's that non-fiction. That nonfiction. I went the nonfiction okay, said, route. Yeah,
2: it's a go, nonfiction oh. memoir written as a letter to my children no. about how my views on the church have changed throughout well, my well it's kind of so cool. that's that's a good framework. It's a
1: cool medium yeah. too, because it's like, well, anything you say, whatever, it's like, well, it's not really for you. It's for my kids. I'm talking to my kids. Yeah. It's like, no, totally, I'll say whatever, I don't totally want it. to say, you can yeah. stop, stop dropping it. on my
2: conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so some friends of mine read it and they were like, you know, you're I I don't know that you say these things and I don't know that you actually believe those things. And I just started <laughs> cackling. Cause I was like, I get to do whatever I want. <laughs> Tell you what I believe. The, I, have, I have a church to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just floating some ideas, man. We'll see how they go. Um, oh, so, yeah. The publisher has called me out on a couple. He's been like, no, this isn't happening. I was like, all right, I'll take <laughs> it out. Fair. Um, yeah. So it's a uh, it's weird to say that, like, hey, you know, 13 years ago, I had never written anything. And now to be like, well, now, now I have got catch up. Yeah, now I've got so many books on the market yeah. and I'm teaching people writing and I'm and there's a really strong community. That's like we uh, we're a learning community where we're all kind of learning crafts together um, around the dialogue doctor. And now now I'm writing nonfiction theology. It's a weird like this has come full circle, <laughs> and um, I'm not real sure how I got here type thing. Well, yeah. there
0: are far worse ways. It to... Seems like it's
1: going in a good
2: way. I think so. Yeah, all right, yeah we'll see. I was gonna. <laughs> say, we'll find out. I
0: was oh, gonna really. say there's far worse ways to process all of uh, your struggles and trauma.
2: I feel that way. Yeah, I feel like I stumbled onto something that's very healthy by accident.
0: Oh, absolutely.
2: Um, yeah. You should think about becoming an author. Very cathartic. Maybe. Yeah, I know. Maybe I should start calling <laughs> myself <laughs> writer. a writer. <laughs> yeah, it is a weird thing, man. You walk into like people are like, "You've written a book." Like, okay, so, I, like, I was mailing books out to readers. Um, I had run this like, you know, weird contest on social media where it was like, not really a contest, like, Hey, you know, share this five times and I'll mail you a book. Cause I did a book <laughs> sale. I have like 20 books left over from the hundred that I ordered. And I was like, all right, I'll, you know, just give these away. I've already paid for them. So I was <laughs> like, I could hold them to sell them again, but why would I do that? Yeah, so I was like, I'm just going to give them away. So, um, I was like, I'll mail you an autograph copy if you share this somewhere. And so I'm in the UPS packaging up these books to send around to 20 people around the country and this woman's like oh did you write that and i'm like all of a sudden i'm like how do i answer yeah. i'm like yeah i did she's like are you an author and like in the back of my mind there's part of me it's like yes i am an author i have i've written 20 plus books i now i've written over 100 short stories i qualify as an author and then part of me's like i don't know how do you define that what does that mean so i'm like well, and then I go, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I am. She goes, do you have an agent? And I'm like, what? do you know what? one? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I go, not right now. Because like you know, I've traditionally published stuff, and I've indie published stuff. And I'm like, these were indie published. So I'm like, I published them myself. I'm like, not, not right now. She's like, oh, so not a real. Oh my one. god. oh and I'm like,
1: come on, lady wow. UPS. Like, what are you doing to me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are you? Shut up and
0: send my package. Well, now, yes. now you got
1: career advice oh. from the UPS, ladies. That you know, you know right. where you need to go. <laughs> that, that should be the next
2: Like, what do you know? You don't know. You don't know my struggle. Oh, yeah. So anyway, it's, uh, yeah, the question is always daunting. Like, what What am I? What, and what comes down? I played with screenplays for a little bit and I finished like the first, I turned that book into one. And then I took it to my friend who like actually writes movies and stuff. I'm like, okay, what do we do with it now? Yeah, that's what and I he like. Writing. Yeah, he described me really the process. And I was like, oh, screw this. What, what was I even doing? Why did I take this step out? I don't want to go through all these hoops. What are you talking about? I'm just going to go write another book and publish it myself. Yes. Yeah, so, so, like, you know, there is that weird, uh, I, I am, who knows where this is going to lead because I am very uh, reactionary toward uh, processes. Right. So, <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, True. See.
0: Well, it seems it's going well. All right, we've already run over, but uh, we have a question that we always end on.
2: Ooh, yeah, fun.
0: bring a bit of a travel aspect into this. So you claim New Orleans as your home. Yeah, we're going to go with that. If you were to go back there now, in an area that is refurbished, yeah, area uh, go to <laughs> yes, that's right. Where all would right. I go if I were to go back to New yeah, Orleans? Yeah, about this. You and your wife are going back there for a weekend. What's on the agenda?
2: So, I'm would I I'm a big city Me walker. Too. I don't know if y'all do. I walk yeah. cities. So, you know, there's a trolley line that runs from, like, downtown to, like, uptown and kind of um, to city park. And you get to pass a vampire novel lady. I mean, why can't I? The names are just, like, and two. Anne Rice. Anne Rice. You get to pass Anne Rice's old mm. house. I would definitely walk that. You could go by Tulane University. It's beautiful. Okay. That would be great. I'm always a huge fan of like music in the quarter. So even in high school, used to just like sit in the quarter and listen to people yeah. play. Yeah. Yeah. Last time you got to, if you go to new Orleans, there's a festival happening somewhere. I promise you just have to find <laughs> it. So like last time my wife and I went, we accidentally stumbled on the tomato festival, which just meant a whole ton of Zydeco music. <laughs> so um find the live music yeah. and just sit. Um, and don't go. Like I don't recommend Preservation Hall. I think the guys on the street usually yeah. are more fun to watch. They may not be yeah. better musicians, but they're more fun to watch. Um, I've seen the
0: Preservation Hall jazz band play with uh, Arcade Fire. Someone else, like oh yeah, right, Fire it was with Arcade Fire. That was fucking wild.
2: Yeah, and Preservation Hall is fun because it's like a little room yeah. that they play in, and you feel like oh yeah, I'm I've been transported back into like older times where we all had to stand shoulder to shoulder because we were poor and didn't have enough space to stand in Um best but, venues. so yeah I would recommend like um being uh like finding the street stuff where else so what I about go? what about end the day where are you going for dinner
1: what are we doing like
2: dinner oh. going out do oh. you a sit down or you jump around to a few places probably jump around to a few places for lunch I'm definitely getting a po boy that's mm-hmm. a necessity oh last um, time I was
0: there for work I had the best po boy in I don't remember the name of it but I had to walk through a bar and then it was in a window kind of like behind a counter.
2: Mm, yeah. You may have been Fantastic. in the French market. Yeah. yeah. The French market is kind of like that. It's kind of a grocery store. I don't remember. Oh this no, bar. this was a be.
0: very local dive bar.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think the best, uh, and I don't even know if it's still there. The best baked potato I ever had was um, at port of call, which is a dive bar mm-hmm. in runs. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh but I don't remember if it's still there. I don't know if it's still there. But that was a long time ago. But yeah, I did get a pull boy. I'd probably do a fa for dinner. I mean, again, it's been a while since I've been there. I don't know if these places are still there. But Felix's used to be a place that my family would go all the time. Okay, it's on the quarter. Uh, it's on the square on Jackson Square, and they had great a touffe. So I'd probably get a touffe for dinner. That would be my my thing. And then I I used to really like. You know, there's the fancy one, which was Emerald's restaurant that would serve bananas foster, which is like yeah, right. banana ice cream liqueur that they like set on fire at your table. You can find like non-fancy ones too, but that's <laughs> my, I always liked the like, you know, liqueur dessert that they set on fire. That I would go look for that somewhere.
0: Okay. Downtown.
2: Yeah. Uh, beignets are a must too. Yeah. You got to go to Cafe Du Monde and get a beignet and get the um, the chicory uh, coffee, the cafe au lait, which is mm-hmm. like, it's like a uh, chicory coffee latte nice. kind of thing. But yeah. Yeah. That's All right. Great. What are you getting in the drink? Mm, I don't know. That's funny. I'm not a huge. I mean, I'm a bourbon drinker. I'd probably get bourbon. My so you're wife, not getting like um, a two
0: foot plastic. Uh, no, like I was going to say like the, when
2: we went, <laughs> my wife got a hurricane, which is one of those <laughs> giant drinks. And she was like walking. We were walking from bar to bar in the quarter yeah. with it because you could like uh, New Orleans has like you can open carry. You just walk right. around with stuff. And uh, I was laughing at her because she's very small, and I think like made like a, a quarter of the way through her hurricane it was like, <laughs> we probably need to go back to the zone You're not going to make it. Um, but yeah, I I don't I don't know. I'm really happy if I'm by myself. Uh, there's a cigar shop in the quarter. I'm going to get a good solid. Probably Monte Cristo, just for reminiscence sake. Cigar, and then I'm gonna find a bourbon somewhere and just like people watch. Yeah. Okay, on, Bur- on Bourbon Love Street. Um, that's good. probably what I would do. Yeah, especially if I could get a balcony seat so mm-hmm. you can look down. Those yeah. are the best. Awesome. Right. You have to know. You have to know somebody though. They don't just let you upstairs for nothing. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, now we know I you. Do. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Sure. he's an author you heard of him right
2: <laughs> yeah yeah <it's laughs> right. he thinks that sometimes he's an author depends I mean, on the you know, day you catch him. he doesn't know <laughs> <it>. yeah. <laughs> depends <laughs> <who asks. laughs> yeah depends who asks yeah uh, depends who asks and ups absolutely right. not. <laughs> um, yeah very cool all right
0: well anything else you want to throw out something uh you got your book coming out what's it called again
2: i don't think it has a name yet mm-hmm. it's untitled still okay i okay. gotta come up with a name uh nerd season yeah nerd season two will come out this spring And that's a good one. We split, uh, you can go watch our, uh, ragtag bunch of, uh, forgotten bureaucrats. Awesome. Come and, uh, yeah. Do their thing.
0: Yeah. Nice. We'll check it out. Yep. All right. Well, uh, it sounds like you've got some ready to do this afternoon.
2: Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Yeah, now I'm inspired. I'm going to go good. work. Gotcha. Actually, my, you know, just being totally honest, my kid is like, when are you picking me up from school? I, so I think I'm actually going to go <laughs> pick a kid up <laughs> from school. My daughter
1: texted to say she left her running shoes at home. And she's like, can you just drop, can you just drop them off between two 30 and two I'm like, oh, of course I have nothing going on. I have nothing going on at all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> have a day <page> job. <laughs> very cool. It was very cool meeting you, man. Yeah. Was was fun, too, very good time. Yeah. Right, yeah.
0: All right. Let's talk soon.
1: See Bye
0: y'all. See you, Jeff. All right, bud. I'll All talk right. to you. Bye. See ya.